Amen. I'm myself very emotional. I think I, uh, my heart as a preacher and as a Christian is not just to preach, but to worship. It's not just about how good a job that I do. It's about a sacrifice to him. And so I try to make that something precious to me when we gather. And, you know, hearing the children's sermon about this lady that longed for those boys to come over there. And they didn't get it. Sometimes we don't get it either, do we? And then as we sing before the throne of grace or throne of God, I had to stop one verse, man. I just couldn't sing as I thought about. He loves me. What an awesome song, man. I love it. And then Samantha reminded us of a beautiful song too. Thank you. That we can come just as we are. It's not about performance. It's about Calvary. Man's good. So anyway, that said, we have this baptismal service at uh, Dwayne's 4 o'clock this afternoon. Please come. Bring somebody with you. I, I sent out an email earlier uh, in the week. I'd like to hear some testimonies of your baptism. That time where you... You identified with Jesus. I want to share a few words. I'm going to share a little bit about my baptism experience. But please don't let me stand alone. Somebody else share too so we can hear together. Wonderful time to be together. And uh, anyway, look forward to that. So grateful for our for, for Dwayne and his family being willing to host that. And the opportunity to celebrate baptism. Like, would you get on with the sermon? Okay. <laughs> let me get to that. Job 42 Verses 5 through 10. We have one sermon in Job after this. Uh, but I ask you to stand in God's honor as we look at the last chapter of Job 5 through 10. My eyes had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naophite did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had done before. Let's pray. Master, thank you that we're here today. Father, we have brothers and sisters across the world who would love to gather for worship and not worry about who's coming, not worry about being imprisoned or beaten. Father, thank you that for now we have that privilege here. Father, help us, though, not take that for granted. May we remember you are the audience. You are the one that we have come to worship. It's not about all the other thoughts that crowd our minds or the other activities or goals. It's about Jesus. So Lord I just pray that our hearts will go to you. As we continue forward. 
thank you for already speaking to me. And I, I don't think I'm the only one. So, Father, continue. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Little boy was mischievous, had trouble concentrating in school. They have reckoned he came, got his report card. And what a report card. He came home and he thought, I've got to tell mom and dad about this, but I dread it. So he went up to the attic where he liked to hang out because he knew he could be alone. While he was up there, he noticed a box. Started digging through the box. And in it, he found one of his dad's report cards. And he had a big smile erupted on his face. And he goes, ah, this is good. So he goes downstairs, meets with his parents. He says, Dad, he said, I got my report card. And I'm afraid you won't like it. But I found one of your old report cards. And what I discovered is, you got the same kind of grades I got. So his dad took both report cards. He looked at his son's report card. Then he looked at his old report card. He sat silent for a few moments. Then he said, son, you are absolutely right. He said, so I think the only fair thing to do is to give you what my dad gave me. Sometimes it doesn't work out like we expect. But there is something within us in regard to this idea of justice. When something is right, it should be rewarded. When when something is evil, when something is wrong, it is to be punished. And there's a beautiful section throughout the New Testament that talks about crowns that God's people will receive for their faithfulness. In their walk with Jesus Christ. And you know, I, it doesn't really go into detail. But many of those including myself. Who have thought how that's going to play out. Because it's not like something. Okay Jesus here's this crown I've earned. And aren't you proud of me. It's going to be bowing humbly before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And saying here's just a little gift to give back that you made possible. So there's, there's within us this idea of when, when someone is godly and someone is right, then, then things should, should, should go right. And, and, and there should be reward. And, and the same thing is true for those who, who do evil and hurt other people. Man, they should be punished. They should pay a price. And God is a God of justice. Uh, turn me to the book of Amos uh, toward the end of the Old Testament. One of those... Prophets, uh, we call them minor prophets, really nothing minor about them other than the fact that there tend to be smaller books uh, of the Old Testament. Sometimes hard to find. Right smack in the middle of the book of Amos, we read these words, uh, chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. God's speaking, I hate, I despise your religious feasts, I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I'll have no regard for them. (laughs) Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. He says, enough of this empty ritual, enough of coming into church and just having the fake smile and 
leaving and nothing's changed in your heart and in your life. You're not faithful to me. The message, that paraphrase, uh, many love, says it like this. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. You see, we, we finally come to Job 42. And we, we have ex- looked at a guy who has suffered immensely. And then instead of receiving support, he was often criticized. And he suffered. And he, he was in the, the garbage dump. A place of suffering covered in boils. <laughs> And now God finally comes and God finally releases him and, and, he, and he heals his body and, and he restores what was lost. Finally, justice. And, and we're going to look at that this morning as we go through this text and we look at this scripture. I mean, here's a guy, he, he lost his health, he lost his estate, he, he lost his means of making money, his business. Uh, and of course, he went through the death of his children. So much suffering. As we look at uh, our text, first, a couple of points here. God's purpose is unfolding, and I cannot hinder it. God is a big God, and I'm small. Listen to verse 2 of uh, Job 42. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. He is on His throne. Just because uh, we want to change maybe what we don't understand or what we don't like doesn't mean we can. He is God. He is the one who calls the shots. Uh, I read an example of a, a CEO who decided he was going to give news of a half million dollar capital investment in Try to soften the news. So he got a room full of middle management. And he said to them, he said, I've made a decision on this half million dollar capital investment. How many of you are for spending half a million dollars? Everybody's hand shot up in the room. And he said, how many are against spending a half a million dollars in a capital investment? He raised his hand. It was the only hand raised this time. And he Got a smile on his face and he said, that was close. You almost outvoted me. See the point? It didn't matter how many others talked and and what they wanted to do. What mattered was the one in charge was calling the shots. And that's our God. As he unfolds, he is the one who's in charge. Secondly, God's plan is incredible and I'll not comprehend it. Can't fully, completely understand. Verse 3. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You see, we are limited, guys. We don't see the full picture and our logic is weak. And whereas we think we're smart, 
we just, there's so much we don't know. And there is an unrest. And, and when we don't trust God, the, the, there is a depression that can set in. Because we, we don't get it, then we want to think that God doesn't love us. And, and He doesn't care for us. I love Corey Ten Boom's words. She said, a religion that is small enough for our understanding would not be big enough for our needs. Third, God's instruction is reliable. I dare not ignore it. When you obey God's truth, God's word, there is a consequence for it. It talks about Galatians 6, 7, and 8, that when we sow according to the sinful nature, there's destruction, read, but we sow, sow to the Spirit of God, we reap life. And, 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 what God wants for us. Hey, when we come together for Sunday mornings, we don't come just to fulfill a religious obligation and then walk out and say, glad I'm done with that. Glad I don't have to do any more of this God stuff for the rest of the week. I've met my quota. You know, I came to church. I came to morning worship. No, we come because we need to hear from the living God. We come because we're needy. We come because we're broken. We come because He's the one who has the answers. He's the one. That's, that's why we come. It's about worship. Richard Foster, a couple of quotes here. He wrote, as worship begins in holy experience, it ends in holy obedience. Holy obedience saves worship from becoming an opiate and escape from the pressing needs of modern life. As we look at Job I love that in verse 5, he, he says, my ears had heard of you. He said, yeah, God, I, you know, I, I'd heard of you and, and, and I knew about you. But look at verse 6, through all the experiences that happened in his life. He says, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He said, God, I understand now that you're my only hope. God, you're what life is about. You're why I'm here. You're the purpose. You're it, Lord. It's not merely about me. It's about you, Lord. I love this quote. It says, when you recognize God as creator, you will admire him. When you recognize his wisdom, you will learn from him. When you discover his strength, you will rely on him. But only when he saves you, will you worship him. Amen. Only when he saves you, when you understand you're a sinner and there's no way out. And then he shows you there's one way out. Jesus. You worship him. How can you not? I guess that's why I couldn't sing that verse. <laughs> you, you know, that, that's what happens. There's a great story. Uh, Henry Ward Beecher uh, was a very eloquent preacher. And crowds would come and fill up the church where he spoke. And one day, uh, his brother filled in for Henry. He He couldn't be there. And so... He, he, when he came to the pulpit and the crowd saw Henry Ward Beecher was not there, some of them got up and started to walk out the door. And his brother, pretty sharp dude, it, his brother responded uh, like this when he saw that. Uh, he said, all who have come here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now withdraw from the church. All who have come to worship God, keep your seats. It's, it's not about a personality. It's about a Savior. It's about a God who loves us.
You know, it's interesting here as we look at this text. Job got it. Job humbled himself before the Lord. All this pain, all this suffering as he turned to God. And the beauty of this passage of scriptures, guys, is he finally finds healing. He finally finds restoration. And now those guys that had criticized him, those friends of his that had let him have it, they're eating crow. And I mean, it's getting stuffed down their throats. Because it's obvious that Job is a godly man. He's a righteous man. And they were wrong. And so as we look at this scripture, part of what's amazing here is when justice rolls down. When justice comes... It is not a chance to rub it in their faces. But it is a chance to jointly worship the God who loves. And we're going to look at that uh, as we go down here in the text here. You know, we tend to think that life is all about us when it's about God. From our earliest years, we think it's about my space, my comfort, my rights, my will, my career, my salary, my plans, my health. And yet it's always about God. It's not merely about me or about you. It's about him. Job got this. Look at verse 7. After the Lord said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. (laughs) In other words, God is saying, you really ticked me off, guys. You made me angry. Isn't it interesting? Uh, in some ways, we've almost watered God down to the point of, you know, he's like this grandfather with this long beard and, and he loves us with an everlasting love. But so often you, you don't hear about the fact that he is a just God, that he is holy and he is not like us. He is above us and he is to be worshipped and that he does have demands and he has laws and he has justice. That, that, that is truly who our, who our God is. And, and he comes in and he's angry. And, and you have those pictures of Jesus, you, you know, uh, beautiful pictures of him uh, with the disciples and healing people and, and, and loving people and having the children come to him. And smile. I love all that. But there's also a side of him where he went into the temple and he was clearing out because they weren't worshiping God. And he was mad. God was mad. He was upset. As he came in with those who were con men, who were trying to make money off those who genuinely wanted to come and worship, it it made him angry. And here he he here here he's angry. As he looks, he says, "Man, you guys misrepresented me. You guys came and you said, Job, the reason you're suffering is because you're such a sinner. You've got some hidden sin in your life, and that's why all this has happened to you, Job. That is what it is. You're not being honest. You're not coming to the front. You're not you're not telling the truth. God, God." says, you misrepresented me. That It never was that. It never was. You never knew the whole picture. You didn't speak the truth. It is vital. Man, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth that's revealed to us through the pages of Scripture... It must never be taken out of the context of what we call church. Guys, if we come here and we don't get at the heart of the message, we become nothing more than a social club. We become more than a community gathering that does good things, but doesn't show a good God to a world that needs Him. 
I read this week a preacher was talking about this guy. He started coming to his church. And, and, you know, after a while, he joined the church. And as he talked to the preacher, he said, I just want to tell you, he said, I grew up in a church where the Bible was not taught. And I didn't hear the message of Jesus Christ as Savior who forgives sins. He said, what we did was a lot of good stuff in the community. We helped people who were poor and, and we helped rebuild houses. and We helped give out food to the hungry. And, and we did a lot of good stuff. And he said, and those people, they loved me. As we work together, he said, I know they love me. But the problem is, as I look back on it, is they would have loved me right into hell. Get it. I'm not saying we don't love other people. I'm not saying we don't do good things. But understand this. Whereas we may help people and we may provide them comfort. There is only one who forgives sins. There is only one who meets the deepest needs of the heart. There is only one who can bring God and man together. And that's Jesus Christ. And guys, if we miss that, we've missed it all. We have missed it all. Now, look here at verse 8. He says, so now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite did what the Lord told him and the Lord accepted Job's prayer we know in the old testament they were to bring sacrifices that would become a sweet aroma to the living god and we know that uh, it was a bloody ordeal because it says without the shedding of blood there's no remission or forgiveness of sin and all that's because sin is so ugly and the price that is required is so costly and as they came with these seven bulls as they came with these rams it was a lot for these guys to bring. It cost them. As they came. And I think it's interesting here. That the offended. Were required to come into the presence. Uh, the offended were required to have them. Uh, to pray for them. And the offenders came into the presence of the one who was offended. And God said Job. Will pray for you. It's kind of. It's. it's you know it's interesting here. Um. It just as finally rolls down, you know. These guys that have made my life miserable. Finally, God has said to them and said, you know, you guys are wrong. Now, you need to come and you need to bring a sacrifice. That's what God said. And I'm going to be right there and I want to see y'all. Yeah. You know, he could easily have said, you know, guys, I have been on my face in agony and pain. And I'd just love you to see you kneel down in my presence. I'd like to see you suffer for a little bit. He could have done that. But the scripture doesn't mention any of that. As a matter of fact, I don't think there was any discussion. I don't think there was any debate. I don't think there was a time lapse. I think from the scripture that they just obeyed. They just brought the sacrifices. And that word that says, my servant Job will pray for you, it literally means he will lift his face up. So what is he saying? He's saying, when you bring this sacrifice, Job will no longer look around and think about the hurts that you committed against him. 
But he will be looking up. And he will remember his God. And his emphasis will be not on past pain, but on sins forgiven. You see, this is a picture of sins being forgiven. This is a picture of what was red as crimson becoming white as snow. This was a picture that happens ultimately by the cross, by the work of the Lamb of God. I love, uh, turn me to John chapter 1 verse 29 in the New Testament. John the Baptist was quite a character. He preached repentance. He preached boldly and the crowds came to hear him. Uh, you know, he was a man on fire and people came to watch him burn when he preached, man. When we come to verse 29 of John chapter 1, now remember this is a guy, the crowds were following him. Uh, he had a message that God was using to touch hearts. It would have been easy for him to get a big head and think it was about him, but that wasn't John. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's preaching repentance. He's, he's, he's talking about how you need to turn away from your sin. And, and that's been his message. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of this fiery message, he, he stops and he turns and he points to Jesus and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's he saying there? He's saying it's not enough just to turn away from sin. You need one who will take away your sin. And he doesn't say plural here because the emphasis is not on individual sins and we can start naming all of those. He took away all sin. Whatever the sin is, Jesus paid it. Now, and I love it as he goes on here. Verse 30, he says, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Him. I would not have known Him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is He who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Hey man, as we think about Job's friends coming down and they're coming with their sacrifices and they're obeying God and they're being cleansed from their sins and, and Job and, and, and his friends are, man, they're having a celebration together. No more of this bad blood. It's about God. It's about God. It's hard not to get excited Think about this stuff. A couple of quotes here from Billy Graham here. Uh, before I share his quote, just a simple truth. God is a just God, but His justice has been completely satisfied in the death of the Lamb of God. Think about that. He paid for it all. I don't care what it is. He paid for it. Billy Graham once uh, preached, When Jesus Christ was crucified between two thieves on a rugged cross at Calvary, He gave His head to the crown of thorns for us. He gave His face to human spit. For us. He gave his back to the lash for us. He gave his side to the spear for us. He gave his hands and feet to the spikes for us. He gave his blood for us. Jesus dying in our place 
taking our sins on that cross is love. That's love. You know what love is? That's love. I couldn't help but think of this great song. It's sung for years. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great, grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great, grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. See, Job knew none of this behind the scenes meeting between God and Satan, the accuser. He knew nothing about the spiritual battles that took place. But when it came to the end of this book, what we do find is he's looking up. He's come to a place where he says, God, I'm yours. All this is just, it's to you, Lord. That's, that's, where, that's where Job came to. He, he lifted his face. And so where was Satan? We don't hear anything else in the book from Satan. Well, he's hiding. He's running because the truth is out now. And he knows he's wrong. He's been proved wrong. as God in his miracle of restoration has, has not only Prove that Job would do what he said. But Job's friends now have come to a new understanding of God. And his forgiveness and his love. So he's nowhere to be found. He has nothing to say because he is simply wrong. Now, two things as I close here. As I come in an invitation here. First, forgiveness is worth asking for. Now, uh. These three friends, they came, they obeyed. It was their way of not just with words saying, I'm sorry, but it was their ways with their heart and action of demonstrating, I'm sorry. And Job looked to the heavens and, and, and he prayed for them. Jesus is called our intercessor. And when we come honestly before Jesus and we say, Lord, I am a sinner, forgive me. He doesn't look out and accuse. He looks up and prays for you. He is the go-between. He is the one on our behalf who brings the case and says, He's forgiven because of Calvary. At Calvary. And, 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 and so that's one side of it. It's, it's, it's don't be... Don't miss that forgiveness. It's worth asking for. Find that forgiveness. Turn to Jesus if you haven't. Guys, if you, as he said here in verse 5, he says, maybe your ears had heard of God, but maybe this morning your eyes have seen Him. Well, we'll turn to Him. And secondly, another side of that 
Is forgiveness is worth asking for if you've hurt somebody? And maybe God has some blessing with a restored relationship that you're missing because you've not been willing to approach somebody that you've hurt and you need to apologize. You need to get that right. It's worth it. And maybe you've been injured and the person doesn't want to forgive you. Then you need to let it go. I know that's hard. But what an example Job gave. Who went through more than Job? Instead of looking out, he looked up. That's the call. Secondly, secondly, justice is worth waiting for. So often we want to be the one who brings justice. You know, I used to kid, I know I've said it here. I said, you know, sometimes I get mad and I look out and I say, God, I've got a job to do. If you'll let me be the Holy Spirit for an hour, I've got some serious work to do and some things that need to be made right. But God spoke to me and said, my child, you would destroy the world. God is God, guys. And in the proper right time that only he knows, his justice will come. It may be later. And we have to wait. Like that beautiful verse up there, Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. Well, that's the version I know it in. And wait for the Lord. Hey. That's tough. And we may wait till later and it doesn't happen. But it will in eternity. There will come a day. You know, God's, he's rented it out. But there will come a day where the landlord takes it over. <laughs> and so that's, that's worth it. That's worth it. Give it to Him. As I close in prayer, we have an altar that is open. And well, I say I close in prayer to the next part, which is a chance for us to respond to Him. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. If if He wants you to come to this altar to pray, maybe there's some forgiveness that needs to happen uh, with God or with someone else. Maybe um, there's this justice thing you've been battling with and God just says, give it to me. What, however he's spoken, whatever needs to be done, may we be able to say, like in the words of that song, there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for sharing. Uh, Father, I love that Psalm 119, 130. It's been on my mind a lot lately. Tells us the unfolding of your words gives light, gives understanding to the simple. Thank you for the understanding you provide. Thank you for unfolding, Spirit of God. And I pray that your light might be evident and that we might say yes. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.